Welcome to episode 682 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Righty, Tim, welcome along to episode 682 of I Am Talk with Coach John Houston, Bevan James. Oz. how you going, mate? Pretty good, Bevan. Started with a yawn. You're starting with a yawn. That's not a good start. It's not a good start. Just telling me you bought a new mountain bike? I have. Got myself a new Cube uh, mountain bike. Makes such a difference having a, a decent mountain bike compared to the hunk of junk I was on before. Where'd you get the old one from? The wee house? Uh, hand-me-down. Oh. Just a hand-me-down. Borrowed from a mate. It wasn't quite the right size and... Yeah, so it's, it felt good. Are you gonna are you gonna go downhilling? Not too much. It's just it's a hard tail. It's not a downhiller. Would you? Oh, would you go down to mountain bike park? No, I'd go down there once. So we've got a Bevan, the mountain bike park. Bevan's talking about is directly next to his place. It's a, got a chairlift and all that sort of stuff. Proper downhilling. No, it doesn't appeal to me that much. I'd still come down there if I was heading that way. But downhilling because you, you can get the chairlift, or you can just drive it right up to the top and come down Correct. for free. You can. And uh, and I've never done it. I've walked. Mm. You can run up it. Mm-hmm. to the side and we've done it a few times but some of the trials oh my god mm. <laughs> just think how does anyone live through that I know you know like absolute craziness anyway I'm Talk is proudly brought to you by Extreme Endurance your lactic buffer Generation Ucam oh I tell you what if you want to get some great nutrition check out Generation Ucam you can also get the promo code IMTalk for 15% discount of any of their products John let's name some patrons Joe the Mighty Ray Harwood we've got Mike uh Man of many faces, it is. Yeah, yep. may have many faces. Thomas and Martin Wally White. Wally White. There we go. Uh, and this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a hot topic of the week. We've got a great interview with a lady called who? Meredith Dole here. She's a ultra distance athlete. You got, got some good insights both into uh, ultra racing, Ironman racing, nutrition, and generally what she does with her life. Uh, Winger of the week, statistic and questions and answers at the end. John, big weekend over the weekend. John's are you uh, now? If you don't want to know the Headlines. results, if you don't know the results, fast forward twenty minutes. Yep, it could <laughs> could take a while. So we had the ITU World uh, not ITU uh, World Championship finale. So World Championships for age groupers uh, finale for the ITU circuit. So as Bevan said, if you don't know the results, and it's it is worth a watch, both the men's and females race. Was it races. was it good racing? Yeah, really good racing. So if you don't know the result, fast forward a little bit. We'll go girls first. Uh, we will go girls first. Uh, so the females actually they did. Normally you have the females race and then the males race afterwards, but this time around it was the males first and the females second. Um, we'll start with the females, and they were they were finishing at sort of, I think it was like 6, 6 o'clock at night or something. So beautiful evening of racing, beautiful day it, of racing. Was it light still? Still light, yeah. yep, but the sun was certainly uh, down. dipping down. Amazing day. The venue was in Lausanne, Switzerland. Uh, awesome, awesome course. Um, the swim just looked stunning. The bike had two hills every lap uh, and really tested the, the field. And the run had a um, had a hill in it as well. And it came down to you know really good breakaway, and they were just laying it down. My prediction that Flora Duffy was going to break away and kill them all didn't quite eventuate, although she did pull the pack a lot on the bike. Uh, didn't have a great run, so just too tired. Yeah, just no. She's just on on the on the comeback. Okay. So she'll she'll another year if she gets a year of running back under her belt she'll be uh, right in contention um, but as it panned out in the run so this breakaway got away and they just drilled the rest of the field and uh, it was really going to come down to I think it was only five of them left at the end and uh, 
Flora Duffy dropped off pretty quickly, and then it was Georgia Taylor-Brown, Jess Learmonth, and Katie Zaveris uh, going head-to-head. I was kind of thinking Georgia Taylor-Brown might have it. She's she's shown some really good running form um, this year, but uh, she got dropped towards the end uh, in her post-race interview. She was just saying she was useless all day. <laughs> she said, I was just useless out there. I was just useless on the bike. I was no help to anybody. I was useless. Being quite hard on yourself. Still got third. You're in. You're, you're there at the end. <laughs> and uh, yeah, she just she just tailed off a little bit towards the end, and it pretty much came down to a sprint finish and coming into the finishing just before the finishing shoot. But Jess Learmonth, who she's yeah she she doesn't look like an amazing runner, but man, she's been killing it oh, really? uh, she got a little bit of a gap and then Katie Zavera showed a lot of guts to get back on you could see she was hurting like crazy um, but you kind of got the feeling once she got back on um, her sort of experience and pedigree sort of came through and she she pulled away just before the finishing shoot which was fantastic because um, she crashed in Tokyo sounded like it was you know 23 stitches or something in her face and so to come back two it's weeks recently. later wow. two weeks ago wow, to come back and, um, and do that um, uh, and to win this race and then win the the series and, and one of the mo- the more dominating fashions across the whole series we've had like Gwen Jorgensen crushing it you had Flora Duffy and it was not qu- it was pretty much on par with that you know she won the majority of her races so very very impressive uh, so rounded out Katie Zveris was first Jess Lemonth was second Georgia Taylor Brown third Rachel Clam had a, a great run uh, to come through into fourth uh, and Flora Duffy was fifth. I would say that some of those in the second group were, were very fortunate because Nicholas Spirig, who's won two Olympic medals, uh, was in the second group. And she was born in 1982. So yep. her and, yeah, her, she, she's a lot younger than everyone else out there. Yeah, she was just slamming it on the bike and pull, kept that second group in contention. Otherwise, they would have been minutes, minutes, minutes more behind. So she had a pretty big impact. And so cool to see that she managed to hang so, on to So on, on the girl side of things... Who, what was the overall for the year? Have you got that up there? Uh, I, w- I was going to go into that later, but I'll do that. Uh, I can do that what now. What do you want to do, the boys? Head. We'll do the boys first. Okay, so let's look at the boys' elite race, championship race. So, again, a bit of a surprise? Uh, again, we, the season has been different winners all over the show. I think, off the top of my head, I think Jake Burt Whistle might be the only one that's won two. Maybe Mario Mola. Can't quite remember. But we've had so many different winners and we had another different winner here again. Um, so there was bonus points on offer. There was more money on offer and it did have an influence on the overall series. Um, but the guys were slamming it on the bike as well. I, I kind of expected we'd get more of a breakaway. Um, but there was a fairly decent sized front group. Uh, and if you weren't that, you were history though. The second group was nearly three minutes behind I think um, and that contained a few of, few of the runners um, so yeah this is a somewhat of a surprising result Christian Blumenfeld ended up taking it out and he looked like he was abs- just about sprinting the whole run uh, I, I, I watched the highlights someone on YouTube I think you could do a better job of advertising their sport mm-hmm. you know because they, they, they have their wrap ups but they're always like a week late mm-hmm. you know what I mean and I know you, they want to point people towards their, their product but like on YouTube, there was basically some Russian guy who was right. taping it off TV doing commentary uh. in Russian. That was the only way I could find it. Now, I didn't necessarily want to see the whole race, but give me that five-minute wrap-up pretty quickly after the race. Yeah, but but anyway, he, he's for people who don't watch ITU, he's kind of like a, a little bit of a Lionel Sanders of, um, oh, of yes, short course. Hard-ass. Hard-ass. Um, technique-wise, a lot better than, say, Lionel Sanders. Yep. Um, but just a hard-ass. He's always attacking 
just giving it to himself and he looks like he's in pain from kilometre one and just keeps giving it to himself. But he got a good break, didn't he? Well, I only saw the last bit and he had well, a break. he got a break and then they caught him back up again and when you get caught by Mario Mola, you're thinking, game, and Vincent Louis, you're thinking, that's game over. Yep. You're not coming back from that. And then he just put in this attack again and just it just looked like he was sprinting the whole way. Um, so to win in front of Mario Mola when he's in good shape and everybody else was was a massively impressive races uh, race so, so i know the name but how often would you pick him to win a race well no he's he's a fan he he's one of the nearly men he's got lots of podiums okay. and he's he's often in contention often in breakaways uh, so he's had plenty of podiums but but yeah, you wouldn't this, have you wouldn't have picked him no this is the first time he's won a race you, okay. you wouldn't you'd pick him to go he could get in a breakaway and he could hold on but so he hasn't yet it's funny you know, I don't follow ITU as, as religiously as you do but this year we've had a few results like that haven't we oh so, so many yeah. yeah just so many different winners and it's, and it's it's cool there's nobody really dominating the dojo uh, so Christian Blumenfeld won it on the run which was somewhat surprising now and to one of the reasons that would be is because it was a very hard bike ride it wouldn't have taken as much out of him as it would have say some of the others yep. so that certainly played into his favour if this had been a flat course I think highly unlikely he would have won uh, still would have been in contention but highly unlikely he would have won so great result by him Mario Mola was second and Fernando Alaza was third Fernando Alaza is another one of those guys who I don't know if he's won a race or not but he's been on the podium a lot, so similar sort of elk to Christian Blumenfeld. Gustav Eden, Eden was third, and Vincent Louis suffered like a dog in the second half of the run to hang on for fifth. Now, he had to finish uh, fifth or better to get the Because I'm, I'm looking at the boys' stuff here. I'm looking at their results and for the overall for the season. So Vincent Louis takes out the season championship. What do you call it? What do you call it? The world, well, he's a world champion. They call it the world champion. Okay. Yeah. He's a world champion, but he was only world champion by about, what's that, 150 points? Yeah. So, if, and like, you, you know, he got 5,000 points, so it's pretty close. I think there had to be five places, six places difference between him and Mola for Mola to take it, I think. Uh, and it ended up only being four. So, if Mola had won and he'd finished one further down, then I think it might have. Uh, might have gone Mola's way, wow. which would have been a sh- not a shame. You know, you, it's a series. You deserve what you what you get. And Vincent Louis, though, you know, has, has proven to be the most consistent. Um, but man, he he was not in a happy place in the second half of the run. That's an interesting place to be in, isn't it? Because you're out of the race, mm. but you know you've got to perform to get the. You know, like you've still got that carrot, and you're hurting like crazy. Mm. It's a good little test, isn't it? Oh, totally. Yeah. So it's so a good on him. So he ended up being the World Series champion in front of Mario Mola and Javier Gomez in third place. Wouldn't have picked that at the start of the season. So Spain took second, third and fourth in the rankings with Alaza in fourth place. And Alaza, I haven't heard a lot of him, so he's obviously pretty talented. Oh, he's, he's, a, he's a great runner um, and so he's and he's a consistent runner. Often he's somebody who runs through the fields uh, from a fair way back, but he's, he's very consistent, uh, always there or thereabouts. But to, I don't think he's won a, an ITU series race yet so yeah on the, the female side of things uh, it was fairly clear cut in the end um, with Katie Zaveris absolutely smoking everybody by nearly a th- about 800 points in front of Jess Learmonth and Georgia Taylor-Brown so Americans and uh, the Brits taking out um, six of the top seven slots. 
So we've also got the age group rates are Lena Gottward and of Germany and Ryan Christian from Australia. Set so the overall times in the ITU Grand Final Age Group Standard Distance World Championship course in Lausanne on Sunday. Gottward finished in the standard distance time of 2.12.44 to win the women's 20-24 category and achieve an overall margin of 1.32 over 30-34 winner Tracy Clinch of Australia and uh, 2.54 over third place winner Chris. Uh, Christelle uh, Coggin of France. Uh, Christian dominated the men's field, winning the 30 to 34 category in a time of two hours and 16 seconds, which was a minute four in front of Nicholas. Oh, how's that one, John? Walladal. Walladal of Austria. And third place was Olivia Crossley of Great Britain. So those are the fastest overall times. Now, they weren't racing against each other. No. But on the course, the fastest on got, the course. Got to give Tim Timothy Carlson from Slow Twitch some, some plugs there because I, I got that off there. It's bloody hard to get all that content off the ITU website. So, one so on that front, you know, an age grouper, like someone like uh, the female Gottward, time of 2.12.44 as a young age grouper, is there a professional career there? Well, no, I think that lead, if, if we go lead on to the sprint distance one, you have some of the younger athletes there. So sprint distance is, is draft legal, and I think there's probably a better correlation there. Okay. These times are very slow because it was a really tough course. And the Olympic distance, I'm not sure if it was raining for the age group race on the, the Sunday, but it was certainly raining when the under-23s did their relay. And we do have to mention that as well. Oh, so we're New, mentioning that, John. Don't worry about that. New Zealand won the under-23 relay. I couldn't find that anywhere either. I could, so you didn't look hard enough. No, you, you've got the TV channel. So, <laughs> um, so Hayden Wild, uh, he didn't have the greatest race on the Saturday. So what what like event just wasn't there? Uh, sounded like he was a bit crook as well. He was throwing up or something like okay. that. So um, he wasn't quite there, but then he backed up and he beat Alex Yee in the final leg of the race. So what actually happened there? But did Because he, he broke away on the bike, didn't he? He did. He had a, a 10-second lead coming off the bike, and he managed to hold that off to Alex Yee. So that's the second time uh, in a couple of weeks that Alex Yee... I wouldn't say he's lost the relay for Great Britain, but you kind of back him in those circumstances well, to probably that's, win. Well, that's interesting, okay, because uh, 2K run, is it? Yes. So I would have oh, thought... Oh, no, it's less than that. It's about a mile. Oh, so it's about 1,600. Yeah. So 10 seconds over a mile is, is a lot, but, mate, he is a beast of a runner. Well, and, and, and let's be honest, well, I didn't see the actual finish times, but it looked like he was 10 seconds back at the end of it anyway. Yes, yeah, and that was with Hayden Wilde celebrating, so he wouldn't. I don't think he would have closed the gap. Yeah, yeah. So good on the Kiwis to take out the under-23 title. That was the only relay that I could see there. Uh, so nice work, Team New Zealand. Great Britain was second. There was also the sprint distance draft legal race over there. So it's, uh, Sandrine Ventz of Switzerland and Carl Dallahaus of Germany posted the top times in the uh, sprint distance draft legal. Uh, Benz was in the 35 to 39, so that's pretty impressive when you're one of the older athletes um, winning it by 16 seconds over the 2024 athlete uh, Fatima Alanis Monaro of Mexico. Um, and then on the guys' side of things, Kai Dalhurst of Germany took out the men's sprint distance race in one hour and 12 seconds. He was in the 2024 age group. Second was in the 2024 age group, and also third was in the 16 to 19. So that's kind of what I'm getting at is if you're going, we're trying to look at a predictor whether these guys could make it uh, yep. in the elite ranks, you're much better off looking at the sprint distance race. And could than they? Doubtful. The standard is so high. Yeah. You know, the the standard between the World Cup athletes and the, um, the ITU series is is pretty significant. You see guys winning World Cup races, which is second tier, and then nowhere yeah. in uh, ITU races. Well, you know, but whereas an Ironman, a top age group can turn pro. 
Mm. You know, maybe not going to be an Ironman winner or a non-Kona winner, but, um, but you know, you can see, you do see many of those top yes. age groupers go on and have some kind of athletic career and, and it's a pro. We've got a great email through from Carl Park, uh, Barksdale. He's got your discussion of the week, save my world championship race. Remember that Aussie who thought that the ITU rule against wearing long sleeve kit in a sprint race was stupid? Well, I didn't know that long sleeve kits were banned. I heard the podcast and ran down and bought one of the extra suits at the triathlon USA team had available and I was able to compete. Good thing I got 14th place. Well done. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? It's very solid. Overall, otherwise, I would have been standing at the start line, sidelines watching, literally listening to the podcast on the flight over uh, and made it to the beeline straight down to the USAT headquarters at our hotel and was first in line for one of the remaining emergency racing kits. Thank you, thank you, thank you. By the way, Lausanne, Switzerland is an amazing place to hold the World Championships. Brilliant. Thanks to my few few new Aussie friends, a discussion of the week and the best podcast in the sport. Love it when we share the knowledge, not just us, it's, it's listeners sharing the There's knowledge. There's panic station, eh? You think, oh my God, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, ITU enforce the rules. It's not like, oh, okay, we'll yeah. let you away with that. I mean, it's the same at a lot of races. It's it's the world champs. Like They've got a rule and they've oh, got to enforce it. Imagine turning up. Imagine turning up a start line. No, oh, sorry, you can't race, mate. Mm. And, like, you're joking. Mm. Uh, why? Because <laughs> of my sleeves. Yeah. Yep, that's right. You'd rip them off, wouldn't you? Yeah. Get some scissors. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you probably would. You'd have to. Yeah. John, okay, we're going to talk about the ITU Hall of Fame. And I do have some questions about this. So, Good. So have I. So ITU have announced their Hall of Fame, and this year the inductees are, we've got uh, Sheila Tomina. Which we've had on Legends of... And what a legend. Yeah. Uh, Emma Moffat. We've got uh, Daniel Ergen. Unger. Unger. And then Brad Carterfeld. And then mm-hmm. we've got a couple... Uh, Lifetime achievements. And it's Sarah Springman and Michael... How to say the last one? Michael Guino. Oh, no, sorry. Oh, no, that's the Michael Guino Award. And Sergio Milan. <laughs> we'll go with that. Sorry, Sergio. We know you're probably a listener of the show. Yep. Um, this uh, is your question, sort of, what defines a legend? Yeah, because you know what, I think Iron Man Hall of Fame, everyone on there deserves to be there. Yeah, I, I, I was going to bring this up a while ago when Michaela Jones was inducted into the Iron Man Hall of Fame as well. So she won one Kona, and I think she got a second. And did she do much outside of that? She did a few. Like she had obviously had to qualify somewhere, but she didn't have a stellar Ironman career. Uh, and I was like, oh, if you win one Hawaii, maybe that's legit. Well, because then you look at Molina. Molina only won one Hawaii, but you look at what he did outside of Hawaii. Mm. You know, like Molina was a legend and he's mm-hmm. won lots of Ironman. And, and when there wasn't many Ironman around mm-hmm. and when the fields are a lot stronger than what we see nowadays. So you can kind of go, well, Molina definitely deserves to be there. Mm. But the Ironman Hall of Fame... You know what? Pretty much everyone on that list, you go. That's pretty much a legend. And and, and you know, McKaylee mm-hmm. is a legend triathlete. Yes. And I get what you're saying. It's kind of like as a hall of famer, is she of that level? And, and she's probably that borderline, really, isn't she? Yeah. You know. And, and I look at this list here, and I'd say all of them are almost on the borderline. So she little man, she's got to be a legend because we had her on our Legends of that's Triathlon right. podcast, that's right. That's right. She's which got... has been a little bit quiet of late, and I do apologise <laughs> about John, that. It's been a year. I have been trying a few people, and I was just. Oh, I'm bombing out. So I do want to try to resurrect that and get the odd interview in from time to time. Um, so she was a legendary athlete, uh, Olympian. Um, legendary Olympian? Yeah. Not a legendary triathlete? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So Like a good, you know, and, and God, I, I might, she might be the person I respect most as an athlete in the world. Right. Because when we interviewed her and she said, I've been to three Olympics and I want to go to the fourth and I sold my house. Yeah. I'm like, back the truck up. Yeah. Because... 
I tell you what, I love people with ambition, but there's no way I'd sell my house to go for, to a sport where I haven't ridden a horse before. Mm. You know, like she, like this woman has balls that I would never exist. And, and so, like, I, I, I love her as a person. She did get, she got a world title. She, she won in one, yes. Madeira. Yep. Um, didn't. Oh, I don't think she got an Olympic medal. Actually, I no, know no, that. she didn't. No, she, no, did. no. she only got one Olympic medal, and that was for swimming in 200, yep. 200 meters. I think she might have got fourth or fifth in the Olympics. She went Sixth, to. I think it was. Was it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I'd say, again, when you've won, won one world title, is that legendary status? Emma Moffat, um, she was she was a long-time consistent athlete, two-time ITU uh, world champion and Olympic medalist. Uh, so not a dominator, but, you know, when you've got two titles and you've got an Olympic medal, I think you're probably getting in that, that realm of... Le- I mean, geez. That, that's, But to me, that's kind of on the border. Yeah. You know, like... No, I don't, don't... Like, God, these guys are athletes that are legends. You know, like, I don't want to diminish what they are, but it's just kind of like... Just a discussion, what is legendary? Yeah. And where do, we, where do you draw the line? Because I'll tell you, I couldn't find where the whole full, Hall of Fame is. Right, I haven't, haven't looked oh, either. Oh, I've looked, yeah. Um, Next one up is Daniel Anker, and we're not being nasty to any of these people because no, they, they don't nominate them. We don't want to shit on their parade, but they don't nominate themselves. You know, they're getting nominated, and they go, "Oh, I swear, I'll, I'll take that." Yeah. Daniel Anker, like this is probably the most borderline of them all. He won a world title, but he did it. Uh, beat a lot of legends in that race. He won it in Germany on hometown. It's one of those ones you never, you wouldn't have picked him. You're not even remote, and he didn't do much else. You know, he you look at his his triathlon uh, record: uh, sixty six starts, nine podiums, and four wins. And one of the and 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 I don't think all those four wins are not World Triathlon Series. I think he had one on the circuit, and the other ones are more sort of. Uh, so, would you put Ferris Al Sultan in our Hall of Fame? Probably due to the fact that he had. Did he, he go did third? He, did he go third, second, first? He definitely was on the podium a couple of times, yeah. and he was always top ten. And he's won, yeah. And he and he won uh, Germany, Germany yeah. uh, and uh, he would have won other races as well. So yes, I probably would have. Um, Danny Lunger on the men's again. It depends what your criteria is. He won a world title, didn't do much else, but world title. And that was yeah, back. But, that but was that, back when it was a world champs. Was a world champs. But is this, so, so what you're saying is, if you win a world title, you're guaranteed into the Hall of Fame. Well, I think that's what they're saying, and I think that's what um, Iron Man, uh, Iron Man, is saying as well, in terms of who they've inducted. Yeah, uh, and the last one was Brad Carterfelt, and he probably falls into the same um, basket as Emma Moffat. He was he was not a dominator. Um, he had plenty of wins, and he was always there or thereabouts. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't know if he won a world title. He got a bronze in the 2005, uh, and then he probably would have been in when it was the, the series. So he was he was really consistent, but again, not a not a real dominator. I'm just trying to find it all time. And here. the other thing, the other slight issue I have with this is bringing people in too quickly. Like he only retired maybe last year. Um, so I kind of think people should have to. Uh, well, well, one thing they're doing in rugby league is one thing that they've done in rugby league, which I really like. Right? The rugby league have introduced this kind of hall of fame recently, and what they've done is they've done two legend, two two levels. Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think you can't be nominated to a certain period after your career anyway. I think that's what they've done. But but they have the hall of fame, and then they have the immortals. Right. So yep. so the hall of fame, like Stacey Jones. Yeah. He never won. He never won a grand final. For for. Oh, other listeners, he's he's a good key. He's one of New Zealand's best players of all time. Hmm. Um, and in rugby league, Australia's the most dominant country. Uh, 
New Zealand and the Poms are pretty aligned and then, you know, there's other countries outside of that. But so what they've done is they've got this Hall of Fame and it's probably got about, it's only kind of new. So I think originally they brought in 100 players mm-hmm. and it was kind of, you know, of all time. Um, and then they've got the Immortals and I think there's only like about eight Immortals. I like that. Yeah. And so these are, you know, like the real legends, like like mm. Wally Lewis is, is mm-hmm. an Immortal. You know, the, in, the, in the 80s, there's probably four guys for Immortals, mm. you know, and, and it's it's a good way of doing it because... You know, this way you can do that kind of thing like, you know, like a, an Emma Moffat or someone who's just won one yep. championship can be in that Hall of Fame. But if you're going to go Immortals, you can, oh, it's Lessing. Yep. It's 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 Mult- Multiple world titles. Yeah, you know, mm. or, or, you know, done done something really special. Like, okay, so who would you be your Immortals? Uh, well, the, you've got to go the big four to start with. That's your yep. easy start. And then on the females, you're going to have Erin Baker. Um, Baker and Paula Newby Fraser from that sort of era. Then you go into the next era and you're probably going to have, you would definitely have Michaela Jones and Karen Smyers in there from that era. Uh, and then you'd sort of just work through it. And there's probably a couple in each each era. Yeah, um, every decade there's probably two, isn't there? Hmm. Two or three. So if you think of the 2000s, then you'd probably... Um, what, uh, you, um, um, you'd probably have uh, well you'd probably have Simon Lessing would, I don't know if he'd be 90s and he's probably more 90s and Spencer Smith in the 90s in the 2000s whether or not you put Bevan Doherty probably not as an immortal um, he won a championship he did he didn't, he got, he didn't win, win a gold Olympic gold medal I think. but where'd you get Hamish because he didn't win a world championship no he only won one Olympic medal and that was he won a lot else um, so he'd be he'd be borderline um, and of the current so of the 2000s who are the would be Simon Whitfield he had a pretty good career, and he got two Olympic medals, and yeah. he got a gold. Yeah, true, true. Uh, yeah, you probably have him. I mean, I think a lot of people would argue for Hamish being in there. Um, on the female side of things in the 2000s, definitely Emma Snowsall. Yep. Um, and you probably put Vanessa Fernandez in there as well, maybe. Um, and then their current crop. What's um, the brown? Alistair? You have the brown. No, you don't have Alistair as an immortal. You'd have Brownlee, you'd have Chrissy. Uh, Chrissy. You'd have Chrissy Welling, well, we're talking long course, or yeah, short, short, I'm sure short, course. short course. Yeah. Uh, the current crop, you definitely have Gomez in there, um, and probably Moeller. And then on the female side, Gwen Jorgensen, and maybe Flora Duffy. I think is probably getting uh, getting up. There. That's a much better way of doing it. They should do that, mm. shouldn't they? Let's put that suggest put in the suggestion box to them, Bevan. Well, we we took that credit for the twelve qualifications for Kona. We have to trim it out of this, today's show, Bevan. We're we're already cranking it. No, we, people love it, John. <laughs> they love it. They want more of us. So yeah, so ITU, we'd like your Hall of Fame, but we want your Immortals. Yes, because there is a different level, mm. and in each decade, probably dominated by two two people, really two or three mm. people in each six. So check it out. Um, and also, and it, it, so also. We do like that they are recognising the people who also help build the sport, so well done, ITU, for that. Uh, Jombo, let's have a look at what's coming up. Oh, this weekend. 70.3 World Champs. Game on. It is game on. It's going to be awesome. Uh, I'm really interested to hear from age groupers as well what the course is like for you. I know what the course will be like, but uh, congestion and things like that, that's my probably my one concern on this course is um, people not having very good bike handling skills and then there being some real challenges on the, the back half of the course, especially on the descending side of things. So hopefully everything's spread out and you age groupers have an amazing race because it's a cool course. Um, the bike is really going to define the race, whether or not that's where it's won or not. Um, if, you, if you're watching, I'd really encourage you to watch the first uh, half of the bike ride because what happens on the ride is there's 10k of flat and then you've kind of got around about 15 to 20 k's of a little bit of climbing and then you have a it's about a 10 kilometer climb at six percent which takes you up to uh, the about the 35k mark of the um 
bike course and then after that you've got a bit of a plateau and then then a long you know then you're halfway and it's all downhill from there with some flat at the finish so in the elite race in particular I think we're just going to see some guys just going ballistic and just going we've got to get to that halfway point and then after that then we'll, we'll see where we're at but I think that uh may not be the winning or losing of the race but regardless if you have a big lead there the the toll that that part of the race takes is going to be very interesting so i'm fascinated to see how this unfolds in the what elites. time is it going to be on here it'll be late into the night um for us so but we'll be able to see a fair amount before we go to bed of uh, the bike ride if you have a late one so just if you look at the previous results in the men's side of the race pretty much everyone who won it should have been in the conversation for the win even in the earlier because in the early days this race isn't what it is now Mm-hmm. You know, the first couple, you know, like it was kind of like, oh, they're doing this thing. We'll see what happens. Whereas Drafting. now, now it's, it's one of the bigger races of the year again. Oh, yeah. Um, and the females, it wasn't as strong. You know, you've got a couple of winners there who maybe weren't as dominant in the sport at that time. But now this is this is a, a, the race of the year, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And you've got to applaud ITU. Not ITU. Um, Ironman, they've built this up year on year and it's a last year's race great was, was probably the race of the year, wasn't it? Yeah. Great, in long course. Great venues, great fields. Not every single person is racing, but quality, quality fields. You definitely, it's definitely world championship. Okay, so uh, what's your pick? So, um, well, it's going to be interesting. So, on the female side, uh, I just see on Torsten's list here that Anne Haug has pulled out, um, along with Laura Phillip uh, and one or two others. Uh, females. It's hard to go past Daniela Reef and, and Lucy Charles and Holly Lawrence. See the top three seeds. Uh, be. Fairly surprised if they're, you know, if, if they all fire that that's not your that that's not your top three. Um, Who are you picking? Cha- oh, definitely pick Daniela Reef. Yeah. Um, but you know, anything can happen. You know, Lucy Charles pushed her last year, um, but if Daniela, if they're all on fire, that's the order I'd expect. Is Daniela Reef, whether or not Holly Lawrence can get on top of uh, Lucy Charles or not, I'm not sure. And then the rest are going to be uh, still be some amazing racing for for the rest of them for the for the you know. The, f- the following positions from three through to ten, but geez. big field, fifty-seven pros, yeah. females race, and then the men's you got another sixty. Again, the men's race we've got Brownleys racing, Gomez, Bloomingfield, Canute, Eden, Smashing Kenley. Uh, so again, I think Torsten's seedings are going to be. I picture Langs racing. The, the yeah, he's not going to get anywhere. He's not going to get anywhere in Kona either. This <laughs> guy's uh, got no hope. <laughs> you've got a lot of the European athletes that. Yeah, may otherwise not have done this race if it hadn't been in Europe, but they're over there training. It's a good time for Kona. Regardless of the, the result, uh, it will be a good training day for them in a very competitive field. So guys like Andy Dreitz, Andy Boucher, uh, Josh Amberger, Patrick Langer, Langer and Bart Arnotts, can't see those guys being in, um, Amberger might be in contention, but I can't see those guys matching the short course athletes. Uh, so Who else, are you picking? Uh, Apparently he's a mystery, I, isn't he? Well, I want to pick Christian Blumenfeld, but I just think he um, he must have gone so deep last weekend and whether or not he can turn that round. So I'm actually going to pick Gustav Eden from Norway to take the win. Oh, uh, back so Where did he come from? Oh, and he's a pretty strong ITU athlete and he, he got f- did he get fourth or fifth at the weekend. I think he got fifth. Um, is he the fourth or fifth anyway? Uh very strong athlete. Uh, his predicted time on Torsten's ratings there is a one ten on the run. Uh, just one of those another hard ass Norwegians. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him uh, winning it. So I would pick either one of the Norwegians, either Blumenfeld or or Eden. But there's that question mark: Have they recovered from last weekend? Um, so you're not going to Gomez? The Gomez, I think, will get is, too tired. Uh, 
well, he's just not strong enough on the bike. And it's not that he's a weak cyclist, it's just the others are weapons. Yep. And he's, uh, you know... In an extra distance. Mm. Yeah. So, wouldn't be surprised if he won. But if I had to pick one, I'd put my money on the, 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 the Norwegians and Brownlee is the, the mystery. So, if Brownlee's on fire, he'd win it. I can't wait to see Brownlee and Kona. Yeah. So, there's a big long interview. If you go to k226.com, uh, there's a big long interview that he did. I only listened to about half of it. Nothing too new in the first half, uh, but about a 30 minute interview he did before the 70.3 in Ireland. So, um, yeah. It's going to be an awesome race. Really looking forward to it. Uh, and good on Ironman. Well, we're for- just in that moment where is, is Brownlee going to be uh, Fredano or is Brownlee going to be Lessing? You know, and that's we're about to find out, really, aren't we? You know, because we've always wondered is he going to come over, and for the longest time, he was like, oh, I'm not really that interested. And I think maybe he's realizing his ITU career is, you know, well, he does discuss that in the the interview. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. His, his ITU career is gone ski, and he, I don't know if it's that he can't accept it or it's hard to be. Mike Pig, it's hard yeah, stopping Superman. Yeah, and, and he was sort of, he started discussing this in this interview, and you know, just. Going to another Olympics is pretty cool, and he was sort of talking about the mixed relay as well and the potential of two two medals there. But, but he, has, put, he hasn't shown anything to me. To and would you put him in, his, in the mixed relay team? Um, like Alex Yee's going to go in front of him, isn't he? Well, Alex Yee would be probably your, your choice for anchorman, um, but it'd be between him and his brother. So, and you got to say his brothers. Yeah. Well, right now. Yeah. I don't know. It's a tricky one. Tricky one. Just, it's a fascinating in his career. Like God, let's. We think of immortals. This oh, guy's an immortal, no right, doubt about it. Unbelievable, right freakish. But we're just this is a really interesting moment to watch his career right now because Kona. Now we give him the pass this year because he is just going along and he might mm. not be that. You know, he might just be learning the race. But um, there's a lot of you know a lot of expectation on those shoulders. Um, if, there, if there was a bet at the TAB, so that's our betting agency yep. over here, of who's going to be leading at the five k mark of Kona, I put a lot of money on Brown. Oh, you think? He's, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing about him because he's always been an aggressive racer, hasn't he? Yeah. You know, and and we've seen like that, like Maka when he came over to Ironman, it took him six races to figure it out. Mm. You know, and, and Brownlee doesn't really have that time as such. So, um, interesting, interesting stuff here, guys. John, we've got another race. I'm in Wisconsin now. It's a not as it is a pro race. It is a pro that's race. Right. Um, the field here is as you'd expect around Kona time and seventy point three weekend. Um, there's a guy called Emilio. Aguara Monaz from Spain who's a top seed and he's expected to win by 12 minutes uh, and then on the female side of things got Lindsay Corbin uh, amongst others so this this qualifies for next year but doesn't it it does yeah so yeah. this is where people try to get the old sneaky win it is indeed yep good time to get the sneaky uh, win also this weekend coming up we've got the Spirit in Montreal we've got the Olympos X in Olympus in Greece we've got the Cairo Man in, Cairo Man. in France uh, and that's about it for this weekend Good times, rock and roll. Okay, John, let's go to the discussion of the week. So last week, John had a discussion of the week, and I was pulling it up right now. I'm going to Facebook. If you don't like our Facebook page, make sure you do. We don't do a lot on there, but we put our discussion of the week up. John had a question about diet recently. Did you hear what you wanted from that? Yeah, yeah, no, I'm doing a little study. I'll share that with people. So I've got my participants that I've been interviewing. There we go. John's uh, discussions, you can go on our, our Facebook page. But the discussion of the week was, if you are a long course athlete, do you race short course tries regularly? Why or why not? And what are your influences your decisions to race? Like Tim Tansley's one, this was a he's got a little rule there. I have a rule of thumb that unless it's an A 
grade bucket list race are the only travel the amount of time the race will take to get there. It's good. good for the environment, keeps costs down. So one hour 30 for a sprint, two hours 30 for an Olympic, five hours for a half, and for a full would always uh, be the A race. P.S. John, you'll need three pins for Alpduez. I saved an Aussie lady from a meltdown by giving her a spare one in 2015 when they turned her away from the transition. They oh, were no not way. giving out any spares. They weren't even going to give the pins away. No. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah, Ian Farrell's got absolutely yes. Why? Because it's where the fun is. Social get-together with friends, motivating for training, local rivalries, and I just love racing. The hard part is knowing you need to prioritise A races and not do all short races at times, but others when are uh, then that I am in it for. Not sure what I meant there. <laughs> above, uh, agree with above. Too many just focus on one or two long course races a year. Fair enough if it's family or cost related, but I guess most of us are enjoying the social aspect. Also, racing is very good training also. Uh, also worth mentioning that you can't go wrong with a long course race yeah, so he basically he's given into it. Mike, the Swizzle Pizzle, I really enjoy sprint distance races, but I really register for them. It feels like too much trouble sorting out the logistics for such a short race. Uh, Rob Dallimore's got yes, uh, allows us to access the full gamut of ranges, which has a massive benefit for the larger picture. Not that peasant, just doing, uh, not that peasant, to just do for the training, or not as pleasant for just training, sorry. Um, and the data can be taken from it, e.g. power, pace, heart rate, which helps to draw a more complete picture of my overall fitness. Um, Mark Funkster Brooks, biggest factor is cost. Totally get that. Uh, I can go and do a hard block, hard brick, and it costs almost nothing, but to do a race is going to start at 50 pounds. Carl Haynes, you've done Carl, have you? No. A lot of long course athletes have tunnel vision and miss out on the fun of turning up and racing regularly. Added benefits are that while training for a full distance, you may surprise yourself and get a few shorter core race PBs along the way. Griff Matthew, there's no fit like a race fit. Final one, I'll do Lynette Warne. Uh, never used to when I was in NZ, but since that's all there is, uh, all there was, short course when I got here to Dubai, I have have to and found them to be super beneficial for, for speed and pace for my long distance racing. In NZ, I found them to be painful as I gasped for air, feeling like the Olympic was a sprint. Now I recommend them to any distance athlete. And I'll finish with Luke Gilmore. If I am racing in late summer long course, I will enjoy a lot of sprints in the spring and get back to the season, enjoy my racing and build speed, then move into long course focus with very little racing in the main build. So that's what Luke does. Gee, I wonder what I'm going to say. You're going to say do a lot of them. But <laughs> no, I'm not going to say do a lot of them. I'm going to say do some of them. But uh, you're not like in CrossFit, you've got a lot of choice. Oh, there's a fair amount. Like if you were building up for Ironman New Zealand, there's... there's, a, there's um, about three or four races you could do. And that's yeah, that's, that's about a huge amount. Oh no, I'm not. I'm not saying yeah. going racing them every weekend, but I uh, I think you know some people say oh it's a, it's a time you know I, I, it's a, I'm only going to do a one hour race and it's going to take me half the day. Well, I would say in a lot of circumstances, going and smashing it for one hour in a race uh, is going to be as good as going out for a five-hour bike ride, especially if that's something you do every every week. Mm. So I'm a big advocate of, of racing. Uh, gets you out of your comfort zone. And what a lot of people find, and when I push people into this, that I coach, saying, 
get, go and do some bloody racing is the enjoyment factor is, is huge and they actually go that was a lot of fun uh, being out there and actually just smashing it for an hour or two um, and it just teaches you to harden up a bit when you, when, I know all you guys not all uh, a lot of you guys say oh I can just go and do my own hard training session yeah well, but there's nothing you, like someone in front of you yeah when uh, you're racing you, you should be going uh, to, to a next level and, and that's a challenge I've always had over the last years is, is I don't get to do a lot of racing I'd like to but I um, as Bevan said there's not many races in Christchurch but the problem I have is I organise them bloody all so yeah. um, poor you, oh, poor, you. So, poor me <laughs> um, but I, you know, I make an effort to go do some of these little Friday night ones uh, just enjoy it every time and just see the benefits and so now I'm in a running phase um, or just started a running phase going towards a half marathon and just having done two races I can just see the massive benefit from actually going and doing and, that and just that mental toughness Mm. You know, because one thing you've, you're doing in Ironman is you've got to learn to move past that point where you want to give up. Mm. Now, in training, you can kind of get there, but when you're racing short course, it's it's a totally different game, and mm. it's a much more intense game, but you have to learn to work through those moments. And the more you can get there, like, I didn't do, when I did Ironman, I didn't do many triathlons. Mm. I, I, I think I even did one, one Olympic. Mm. You know, like, I didn't do that many. Now, on Epic Camps, we do those many races, but I was yep. kind of fatigued, but I did a lot of cycle racing. Yep. And my, that cycle racing just taught me so much about, mm. you know, just toughness, mm. you know, and cycle racing is not like endurance sport at all, because it's a lot more kind of explosive up and down and stuff but like I was pretty much racing every weekend when I was doing Ironman and um, it just it taught me so much about racing so if you if you were doing an Ironman uh, race and say it was a, a late season race I would encourage you to do maybe three races during the, the season so if it was an end of season race try to find three maybe a couple of sprints an Olympic or two Olympics in a sprint um, and go and make it happen but even outside of like John's this is very specific to, uh, to triathlon today but when we're thinking about this you know do racing like mm. you know do your local half marathon mm-hmm. and, and don't just take it as an easy run treat it as a race mm-hmm. do some cycle events just all those little things the more experienced athlete just knows how to play the game like it's you know I don't really race much nowadays but when I did that Queensland race a couple of years ago I just knew how to perform mm-hmm. and it's because on a day I know how to race because I've raced a lot in my career dealing with the pressure oh and, and knowing how, especially endurance sports knowing how to be a wise athlete early mm-hmm. on you know it's, it's so many races when I was younger I was thinking oh I'm going to win this <laughs> in the mm-hmm. first 10k and yeah. <laughs> blow up at the end you know it's, an, it's a skill you need to develop and so there's definitely a lot of value to it okay this week's discussion John this is, this is a good one. Yeah, you did this one. Oh, this is so much. Jeez, thanks for giving me the credit there. Yeah, no, I, I did this myself, but I'm just saying I think it's a good one. What are the biggest what-ifs in triathlon? And so what I mean by here is those sliding door moments that if this didn't happen, what was the course for triathlon long-term? Mm-hmm. So what is the biggest what-if? A good example is... What would have happened to triathlon if Julie Moss didn't have that amazing finish line in the first televised vision Ironman, which was on ABC, wasn't it? One or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, In the 80s. What what was a what if, if that moment didn't happen in triathlon, what would Ironman been? And I I keep going back to this Alistair Brownlee interview. He said there were so many what ifs in his his career. He he managed to just randomly go to the school and there was this really good running coach there who took a bunch of boys running like every lunchtime. Oh, really? What if he hadn't gone there? Yeah. Yeah. What's your biggest what if in your life? Um, What if I hadn't been coached by John Hellman's basically? Really? Because that, 
not necessarily the coaching that he gave me, which was great, but then I um, got introduced to uh, the Hong Kong sort of setup, and then I was into that, and then from that, then Gordo met me over there one day when I was out training, and that opened up a couple of other doors, um, and so that was, yeah, probably the big what if, well, probably not so much John Helmers, what if I hadn't been swimming at the pool that I was swimming at, and there was a triathlon squad that I was able to transition straight into, and if I'd been swimming at a different club, wouldn't have known about it, and yeah. probably wouldn't have... Uh, got into the sport amazing, amazing what, mm. like my for me was when I sort of started getting into fitness I was going to join a world gym because I was into weights for rugby league mm. I was going to get big for mm. league and uh, and so I was going to join world gym and it was a no brainer but my the, Stephanie the daughter, my daughter's mother um, she went to Les Mills and she never went and so it was going to be cheaper and me being the tight ass that I am John oh, yeah. I will go to Les Mills mm. like what a moment that means to my life mm. you know like imagine if you didn't you didn't like Wow. Mm. And so what we want to think of is in triathlon, what are those moments that, because what, what happens if Julie Moss didn't get on TV? Mm-hmm. You know, would have Iron Man been what it is today? Oh, totally. You know, so what are those what if moments for triathlon that have been throughout time? So come up with those. Jombo, we've got an interview coming up. Uh, brought to you by who? By Generation UCAN. So the UCAN products are powered by Superstarch, a unique low glycemic complex carbohydrate that delivers steady, long-lasting energy with no spikes and no crash and keeps your blood sugar steady. Uh, triathletes use it all over the place. Um, I've used it myself. Um, lots of people report it avoids GI distress, bonking, and improves body composition uh, along with minimal or no sugar. If you want to get a discount and try it out, uh, check out generationucan.com slash shop. Use the promo code IMTALK15. And then we've also got for other listeners around the world, generationucan.com, uh, that's sorry for America, Australia, generationucan.com.au, Canada, smartperformancenutrition.ca, and New Zealand, superstarch.co.nz. That promo code will work all of those, so go check it out uh, using the promo code IMTALK. Now, John, just on this, that discount code will work at all those different websites. Correct, Amondo. Good stuff. It is available elsewhere on Amazon, etc. Um, UK, UK listeners can get it uh, from there or, or elsewhere. If you want to get the discount, make sure you go to their website. Mm. Yeah, so check it out. Um, now, the interview, John, who we got on? We've got Meredith Dole here, and we're going to do an intro before we start chatting to her, so here she comes. Here is Meredith. Record. Okay, guys, we're going to have a really interesting interview for you today with somebody called Meredith Dole here. Uh, she's run in excess of 81 marathons. Um, 12 of those have been in Ironmans. 10 have been double marathons. There's been a bunch of ultra ones. She's done all sorts of uh, crazy races as well in terms of ultras. Um, been to Kona and lots of other iron distance races all around the place and ultra triathlons. So she's certainly got the long distance bug. So we're going to chat to her about that amongst other things. So Welcome along to the show, Meredith. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So g- give us a bit of uh, insight in terms of uh, how you got into all this stuff. You know, you've had some amazing uh, ultra-distance exploits, but but what sort of got you into the sport to start with? Uh, well, I've been a lifelong athlete. I mean, I, I grew up playing tennis uh, as a child. Well, really playing every sport, but the one that I ended up playing uh, long-term was tennis. I kind of had to choose uh, at about 12 years old and played tennis top 10 in the country all the way through college on scholarship Uh, went to UCLA and then Vanderbilt and honestly that kept me out of trouble (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm a really hyper kid I I love uh, I think it's Bevan has the thing like what are you on and can I have some of it or is there an off button (laughs) like something that's like always been associated with me people always ask if I have an off button 
Um, but sports kind of kept me like more at a, a level playing field when I was younger. And then when I um, had kids at a very young age, uh, I kind of lost my identity, I think. Mm. Um, you know, I, I had an opportunity to play professional tennis and blew my shoulder out. Um, so, you know, I, it wasn't the only thing I was good at. I went ahead and started my career and then had kids really young, but did not know that lurking under there, I'm also a, um, an addict and an alcoholic, and I had some severe trauma at 16. Um, I was raped at 16 and did not tell anyone. So um, not having any kind of, um, you know, treatment for that or telling anyone about that, that ugly addict and alcoholic reared its head very young, not having sports either. So um, ended up after a lot of, um, therapy and trying to get myself straight, you know, I ended up, you know, turning to running and turning to triathlon. So that's how it happened. Um, I've just, I've just finished reading a Greg LeMond book and, and he had a, a similar childhood experience and it, God, it took him until well after his professional career that it, that it came out. So maybe can you talk us through that at all in terms of actually, taking that step to sort of acknowledging that it, that it happened and, and how you kind of dealt with that? Because like Greg LeMond's story was, uh, it's, it sounded horrific and he didn't tell his wife and uh, or anything until he was, I think, maybe in his 50s. Yeah, I, I think now we do a much better job with our children and our young adults and anyone who has trauma to try and encourage people that vulnerability is strength and not weakness and Frankly, that's a lot of what I do now. I go around, I talk to schools, I talk to young kids, I coach young kids. And I re- the nonprofit that I have, we, what's one of our main mantras is that vulnerability is strength, not weakness. But in the era that I grew up in, <laughs> it was not, that is not what was taught. It was buck up, you know, find, you know, deal with it, stuff it, don't say anything. You know, my first addiction was to perfectionism and make everything look good and, you know, make sure that nobody sees you sweat. You know, there's even that old song, like, don't let anybody see you sweat. And so Mm -hmm. I just was so hyper-focused on making everything look good on the outside um, and not telling anybody. And it didn't just happen once. You know, a lot of my story that you read about in the press is, you know, I kind of make it sound like, you know, I was raped one time. Okay, let's move on. Everything was fine. No, that it was, you know, it went on for nine months. And um, these are people that were close to me and that I trusted. So I grew up with some pretty severe trust issues Mm -hmm. that have developed created the the personality that I have today. Um, and I eventually didn't have a choice but to tell somebody, you know, 12 years later, uh, I was having flashbacks It you know, was coming out sideways and I didn't have a choice but to finally have the strength to in treatment talk about it. You know, the I was doing all sorts of self-destructive things. And by at this point, I had two kids, you know, mm. I had to get some help. You know, like it sounds, you know, a traumatic event. Obviously, a lot of things happening in life. You know, you had a career that you thought you were going to pursue and elite athlete, and then it doesn't happen. As you're saying, that mum thing of a loss of identity as well. Then you go yeah. down this really destructive path, which just damages your life and those around you in many ways. How do you start rebuilding? And what are the steps that actually allow you to, you know, get to where you are today? But what are those first steps that, because your endurance sport seems to have the ability to help the addictive person. Um, but I'm sure there was a few steps along the way to actually get you to that point. But just maybe just tell us what were some of the key things that actually allowed you to start to rebuild away from that destructive place? Well, one of those things is I had to learn to trust people. Yeah. That's <laughs> um, very important. And I also, which is very, still to this day, it's very difficult for me, you know, 18 years into this path of, you know, asking for help, 
is that I have to learn to ask for help. I am not invincible. Um, and for sure, alcohol is my kryptonite. You know, there's so many things. If you look at my bio, even there's so many things that I've accomplished that seem so difficult. But then what's this one thing that can take me down and bring me to my knees and is so hard that I cannot do alone? You know, that's something that recovery is so hard and I cannot do it alone. And I'm kind of a loner, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, so that's very difficult for me. I have to always remember that I have to ask for help. Um, and that's that vulnerability piece again and trust. Um, and it's not weakness. Um, so growing up the way I did, feeling like I had to be alone and I had to be invincible and I couldn't trust people. It's been very difficult for me in rebuilding of my life. It's actually quite good a metaphor for a lot of endurance athletes because we, there's a, you know, obviously there's all types of personality in endurance sport, but when we think about the general kind of stereotype, it is that kind of A type of personality who, who wants to prove themselves a bit to the world, you know, and does think that they'll kind of do it by themselves. And they, you know, a lot of endurance athletes particularly can kind of wake up a little bit isolated because they have kind of gone down that path too much. For sure. And I think part of what, is the draw with endurance sports is that it's so cathartic. Um, I know for me, I have a, a real draw to point to point races because I feel like when I start in one place and I've got all of my issues there with me, all that baggage, all that luggage is right there next to me in one place. And then with each mile or each step, I feel like I'm shedding something and I leave it there. So when I choose a race, I intentionally often choose a race that's point to point like Badwater or like the Brazil 135 or you know, even Ultraman where you're going, you're leaving something um, and you're having this grueling battle with yourself mentally. Ironman is that way. I love the people at Ironman that are finishing in 17 and a half hours. They're my favorite people. I always am at the line waiting with those last finishers because that's a true battle of wills. Those are the people that are really fighting with themselves to finish. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I cry every time. It's amazing. <laughs> Because they're really they're really fighting with themselves, and those are the heroes that are out there. I really believe that. So you, you said you've sort of gravitated towards the, the ultras and Ironman, and, and quite a lot that are longer than that. Did you did you dabble around with with shorter stuff, where it's you know punishing yourself over short distances and trying to get as fast as possible, or did you kind of go straight towards ultra? And were there many other appeals to it for you? Um, yes, I'll be honest. I think a marathon fast is more painful than anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I really, um, it is really hard. Uh, and I have every respect for the people that are running. Well, the mile really fast is so painful. These guys that are running, you know, 348 or 353 or I mean, it's just insane. Um, a that's extremely painful and takes an athleticism that I cannot fathom. Um, but a marathon really fast is grueling. And I don't even know what really fast is because I'm not saying I've run a marathon really fast, but really fast for me hurts like hell. Mm. Um, you know, it hurts to me worse than a fast 50 miler um, because in a fast 50 miler, I have me in my head and I can, you know, even if you fall apart, you can always get it back. If you fall apart in a marathon, um, you're really pretty much toast. You know, you've lost your time. Um, even if you have to go to the bathroom the time you want, you're done. You know, in a, in a double marathon, you can probably get it back because you've got a matter of hours, you know. Um, so I've always really, really a pipe dream of mine, and I still would love to try and do it, is to go under three hours in the marathon. Shoot, I'll take under 310. Hmm. Um, and I was training for that last year and got pneumonia, and um, even the training is painful. So, yeah, I, I would like to dabble in that still. 
Um, I would still love, you know, pipe dream to try and win bad water because that's really painful too. But, mm. um, you know, these things are, all this stuff goes round and round in my head. But yeah, I would, I'd like to do the really fast stuff still. The interesting thing about your athletic background is you, you come from a very skills-based sport. Now, I know endur- there's a lot of endurance in tennis, you know, at the elite level, but it's a very skills-based sport. And if we look at, like, yep. running and endurance sport, there's skill, there's skill there, but it's definitely not of the same type of skill as tennis. So what changed in your approach to being an athlete from being an elite tennis player to being a, an endurance sport athlete? I'll tell you one thing about tennis, though. It is the most mental sport there is besides swimming. Um, so when you think about Ironman and you think about ultra, it's extremely mental. It's 90% mental and the other 10% is all in your head. And once you're at a certain skill set in tennis, it's very much the same way. The people that do very well in tennis are extremely good mental athletes, um, because you have to be out there a long time it, it, and you do have to have a lot of endurance, especially in women's tennis. Cause sometimes the points are forever, mm. you know? Yeah. Um, so you have to be a good athlete to have the endurance to play. I used to try and keep people out there forever in the heat. Um, (laughs) because if, if I, if I, seriously, if I could, then I could usually win, even if they were a better player. Bit of a rope dope Uh, strategy. (laughs) Yes. No, that was always my game. You know, like if I could keep them out there long enough and, you know, go to seven, six and the third, I could usually pull it out. Um, but as far as the, uh, going to switching to running, I ran when I was younger. I ran just for, um, you know, for fitness and tennis. One thing I do find in triathlon is the bike, I think, is a skilled sport. You have to know when to gear. You have to, you know, you have to have coordination and gearing. You have to know when to sit, when to stand, when to, you know. I I find there's a lot of rhythm between tennis and cycling. Um, I have some other good friends, like Kelly Philnow was a tennis player. I don't know if you know Kelly, but she's a professional Ironman triathlete. And she's a good crossover tennis Ironman athlete. Um, and then we've talked about this and it's kind of the same, um, rhythm in a lot of ways with swimming and tennis and cycling. So it's kind of an interesting switch. So just, if you think back to your early events, um, especially some of your, your, your longer ones you did, what have you kind of learnt between now and then, you know, what, um, probably more focus on the, the ultras cause we've got a lot of iron, iron distance athletes listening, but, um, yeah, from those early ultras, you know, what sort of mistakes did you make that you've, you've learnt a lot from? Well, one of the mistakes I made a lot, even both Ironman and ultra, I, my nutrition was a disaster. Uh, I, I really was, I was, I had no idea what I was doing. Um, and one of the things that, <laughs> that I was doing, for those of you who don't know me, I was doing back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back Ironman. So I, when I qualified for Kona at Ironman Texas, uh, that was just, I wasn't trying to qualify for Kona. That was a warm-up for me to be doing, I was just there to do it just to kind of warm up because I was going to do be doing France, Austria, and Switzerland three weekends in a row, three countries, mm-hmm. three weekends, three Sundays in a row. So I was just like, oh, I better just drop into Texas just to make sure I'm on point. And unfortunately, I threw up the whole run. I had threw up once on the bike, and then I threw up the entire run. Um, but the good news was it was really, really hot. So a lot of people were really sick. And um, I just happened to be less sick or you know, do better in the heat than most people because, you know, that's why now I do, you know, things like bad water because I'm really good in the heat. Um, but I was miserable, and I thought, I've got to do something about my nutrition because earlier in the year, in February, I had done my first 100-miler run. And I threw up about 50 times mm. um, and it was brutal. And that's in the second half. I still got second, 
Um, but I was like, what if I didn't throw up? What if my nutrition was good? What if I, you know, didn't have all these nutrition issues and I didn't feel terrible? Um, you know, maybe I could have won the thing. Maybe I would have won overall and not just been like top seven overall. Maybe I would have done even better at Texas and not just qualified for Kona, but like maybe been top five, you know, like, mm. so all these things were going through my head. And I also knew that I was about to undertake something extremely difficult doing France, Austria, and Switzerland three weekends in a row. And then four weeks later, go to Ultraman, um, <laughs> Wales, Ultraman UK. So nice. I was, I was really, I mean, honestly, I was very scared that I was going to be so sick that I wasn't going to complete it. And I'm not the kind of person who doesn't finish things. So someone told me to contact Bob Sibahar, um, who's an amazing, um, nutritionist dietitian. He was at the time, the Olympic, um, triathlon nutritionist and dietitian. So I did, and he was willing to work with me before I left for Europe. Um, and he said he never does this, but he was going to go ahead and change my entire, the entire way I eat to be metabolically efficient. He recommended that I try generation. You can, which I had never heard of at the time. It was still a fairly new company. This was 2011. And, um, we changed everything, like literally scrapped everything. Um, to be metabolically efficient, to switch everything to UCAN. And by the time I left for uh, France, we had me, you know, not eating a lot of grains, um, trying to just, you know, eat kind of paleo um, and all UCAN on the bike. So what I had been doing before was <laughs> I was having 250 calories an hour and I like 120 and 5'8". Yeah. 120 pounds and 5'8". So um, I was throwing up like crazy. He switched me to be 75, 75 calories an hour. And that's really low. Was that pretty much um, exclusively UCAN or did you have anything else? Nope, all UCAN. Nice. So at this point, I have been all UCAN ever since and I have never thrown up again. And I've done a lot of racing since then. Since then, it's about, gosh about 4,000 miles of racing, if you include all my triathlons too. And I've never thrown up again. Um, thanks to you, Ken. I mean, I honestly was ready to stop racing. I was so miserable. So um, I did bad water and never threw up once in 30 hours. <laughs> What about the practicalities on the day? You know, we had uh, Matt from UCAN on a couple of weeks ago um, because often people try to think about their nutrition on the day and, and how you actually carry it all. So um, how do you sort of make it work for you in terms of having everything on board for the bike and, and then obviously on the run as well? Do you carry carry it on the run or you know, maybe talk us through the practicalities on, on, say, Ironman race day? Well, the good news is that because I don't need a ton of calories an hour, um, I break it down where, so 75 calories an hour is broken down where I actually take it all in at once because you can is so gentle on the, on the stomach that I use the, the protein kind. I like the vanilla and the chocolate or the, it's now vanilla cream. Mm. Um, so when I mix it, I take a handheld and I only need the handheld every once every two and a half hours. So I will put it somewhere or I'll either carry it down my back, um, during an Ironman, I typically have it either midway through the course, um, on my bike, I have it on my bike, obviously. Yep. Um, and it's the protein kind enables me to, that way I don't get hungry. So if it's got a little bit of protein in it, I cannot handle gels or mm. anything like that. Those come up too. Um, so on my bike, I have it, I have two of them in the back, um, water in the 
part in my aero bars. And then in the center part, I have another one. So I carry three on the bike mm -hmm. and all of those have, um, a protein one in there. I don't usually take all of them, but I carry all of them. Mm. And then on the run, um, I usually have one. I usually hide it halfway. If I can't, get, I take it out <laughs> the night before. If you want to know the truth, yeah. it's usually hidden in a tree somewhere or someone meets me out there. I'm terrible about carrying things. Yeah. Um, but I usually have it hidden somewhere during a marathon. Somebody will have it out there for me. <laughs> I went missing. Yeah. Some kid goes, Oh, these are free drink. Oh, yeah. sweet. <laughs> I'm really bad about it. I yeah. always have somebody out. And this is the best part about being an ultra athlete is we have a crew. So, um, I always have a crew with me at ultras, like at Badwater. I have four people who are, you know, out there with me and they're piggybacking, you know, handing me my nutrition. It's like being, having a con, you know, they're like my concierge, you know? Um, so you get real spoiled doing ultras where somebody's always handing you something. Um, and that's great. But, just, um, just with regards to the, the change to sort of eating in a more metabolic, metabolically efficient way, um, what were some of the big changes other than your race day nutrition with UCAN that, that you made and, and how difficult was it and what sort of challenges did you face when you, when you made those changes? Well, one of the biggest things was the, you know, pasta loading the night before is a myth. Do not do that. <laughs> that was one of the things that was making me sick is that I would eat all this pasta and all those carbs were not, I wasn't able to metabolize that. So he switched, Bob switched me to, I have a piece of salmon, I have some asparagus and I have some jasmine rice and some water and that's it, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, that has metabolized by race morning um, and, and the most important meal is actually two nights before where I eat something almost exactly the same, you know, a piece of salmon or chicken's fine, you know, whatever. And jasmine rice. I do eat the jasmine rice. Some people do not have any carbs at all. I, I kind of have to because I, I actually get really hungry. Um, and then I have some asparagus or some other green, sometimes spinach. Um, race morning, this is totally different. So race morning, I had been trying to eat like a bagel with honey um, and sometimes peanut butter. I can't metabolize that. Like I absolutely, ha I always had to go to the bathroom. Something would always happen. I would throw up. Um, now all I have is a vanilla you can and a chocolate you can mixed together in a blender bottle, both of them together. Um, so it's quite a, it's a big protein punch. And I have that an hour before, um, just exactly an hour before, sometimes 50 minutes. And then about 45 minutes before I have a banana and that is it. I don't care if I'm racing an Ironman or a 30 hour race, you know, like Badwater. Um, that's what I have and that's it. Um, and then about two hours in, I have my first you can, and that's either the orange kind, which doesn't have protein or the vanilla kind. And then I, for some of the, something like Badwater, that's really, really long. We do rotate protein and then non-protein, protein, non-protein, non um, just to make sure that I get 75 calories an hour and I don't get sick of the flavor. Nice. Um, just if, if you guys are listening and, and you've heard Meredith mention Bob Sebaha, we've interviewed him at least 
twice, yeah. maybe three times. So amazing, go, you, dude. Yeah, go into our archive and you can you can uh, search up Bob Sieberhart and he'll sort of talk through metabolic efficiency, um, etc. So go check that out. So just going back to kind of your, your athletic career. You know, looking back, you know, you know, we all have wisdom from experience and we look back and we go, if I knew this now, I would do things differently. So looking back on your earlier version of yourself in your early racing years, based on what you know now, what advice would you give to somebody who's going to go long, you know, into maybe more that longer than I mean kind of stuff? Oh, gosh. Um, I think, honestly, you know, wisdom comes with age. And I know I wanted to shoot somebody when they said that to me when I was younger. Um, but I, I'm learning now, you know, I'm a little older now. I really tried to cram too much into a short period of time. The races aren't going anywhere. Um, I did so many things in a span of three years. It's like, I don't know what I was thinking. (laughs) I mean, I really, it was like, I thought that they were all going to go away and I just wanted to do everything all at once. And I crammed so many races in a span of three years that it was like this frenetic, I have to do everything now. And frankly, my body's kind of paying for it right now. Um, people kept telling me, oh, your body's going to pay for it. And I thought I was invincible. Um, you know, that's kind of maybe part of who I am is that I thought that. But, um, you know, I ruptured my spine and I came right back and did bad water and all these other things all back to back. And um, I'm not having issues with my spine, but one of my feet is just really messed up. Um, and I really kind of regret that. I wish I'd taken a little more time maybe enjoyed each race individually a little more and taken it in. And instead I was, I was like, before I even did the race I was about to do, I was on to the next one in my head. Mm. Um, I really was, I got up the morning of Ironman Regensburg and I was already planning to do France, Austria and Switzerland registered for them the night before. Regensburg. So why do you think that was the case? Why, 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 why couldn't you know. be present? Um, that's a good question. It's something I'm working on. <laughs> uh, that's that's exactly my point. Like that, I really need to work on that. Um, and I've learned that. That's just definitely the era I was in mentally. Um, I think it's like I thought I was going to miss out on something. And I was so excited to be healthy and racing and um, sober. And I just wanted to attack everything. And, you know, I was so excited that I was able to do things that well. And I, I don't know. I just... It was like I, I was exploring all these different opportunities and I found that I was really good at something and I just wanted to do it all at once, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, you, you said, you, you know, maybe at the time you haven't, didn't have a huge chance to reflect on what you were doing, but now you've had a bit of a chance to actually look back. You know, what were some of the, the biggest highlights for you in terms of either favourite races or, or best performances? I absolutely loved Ultraman UK. It was just... Oh, what an experience. Um, it's hard to, kind of hard to explain. It was in Battensea Coed in Wales in the Snowden National Forest. And, yeah. oh my gosh, it's like the dark side of the moon. Oh, it really? was just, what an experience. It was really, and the course was just so hard and the, there was a hurricane coming through. So it made it even harder because the water was freezing. It was a black bottom lake. The buoys got loose. You know, everything went wrong, which made it great. Um, I kind of like when things are like that because if the conditions are really bad, I tend to do better because most people are complaining and I kind of like it. Um, so it was just an amazing experience. Um, great people, you know, Ultramans are really small, a great group of people that were there. 
Um, I I love to ride my bike. The bike course was grueling, but beautiful and hard and challenging and everything all wrapped in one. Kona, of course, was an incredible experience. My whole family was there. Um, Of course, that was amazing. I loved Ironman France. Mm. Um, Love, again, bike course. (laughs) Got to rank that bike course up there. I had a a mechanical on the bike, too, which kind of made it more interesting. (laughs) My seat post got loose, and so I was riding. I looked like a like my like I was on a clown bike if <laughs> I my seat sunk into the bike and so uh, I was descending like a little clown bike <laughs> um but again it makes it memorable you know <laughs> um and, and it was the first of France Austria Switzerland so it was you know doing the what I call the triplet uh three in a row three weekends in a row so, so um, you just um, you've also got your running works organization tell us a bit about that uh, and, and maybe that's why I realized that I, sh- I you know, with I started, I founded Running Works, with a, which is a sport for change organization for homeless men, women, and children, uh, and we help them with housing, transportation, interpersonal safety, toxic stress, education, and employment. And running is the hook. So um, I have run 15. <laughs> 15 marathons with homeless people. Um, they've run them off the street and then realized, wait a minute, why am I homeless? You know, I, I, I can do this. I can do anything. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's why I have some more gratitude about races and about really seizing the moment. And, you know, I see them finish these things and they're just like, wow, you know, <laughs> they cross the finish line and they cry and they're just taking it in and they're hugging their medal. And I'm like, why wouldn't I like that? Um, and, you know, we have 25 half marathon finishers from people who are doing it really fast and running with me and running like a 140 or they're, you know, and that's really fast for a homeless person, by the way. Mm, mm. Um, and we have people going <laughs> sub four in the marathon or we have people who have lost 100 pounds in order to do it and they're walking it and they're going, you know, three hours and 10 minutes, but they're getting it done. Mm. Um, and then they are working our program and they're in proprietary housing and it, it's just really special. Um, and we've. We've served 4,500 men, women, and children at this point, and it's truly the joy of my life. It really is. Whereabouts are you based with that? Uh, We're in in the Carolinas. So we have six programs throughout the Carolinas, um, but that's exactly the size it needs to be because, shoot, we could have 100 programs in the Carolinas and still not scratch the surface with the number of people we could help. What have they taught you you about being an athlete that maybe you wouldn't have never known until you've done this? I think Iron Man taught me this too, that, and, and I believe this, like truly, if you set your mind to something, anyone can accomplish anything. Standing at the line, watching pe- some of the people that finished these Ironmans in 17 and a half hours, or my friend Andre Kalik, who has, you know, no legs all the way up to the hip, who, you know, did the Brazil 135 with me and is the Ironman world champion for amputees. Uh, people can do anything. It just takes attitude. Um, and some of our homeless people come in and I'm like, do you want to, you know, want to run with me? They're like, no, <laughs> Like, you want to earn a free pair of shoes? Yes. Oh, and really? then, you know, they'll need to, you know, they'll lose a hundred pounds and they'll go from dragging their pants around and not even be able to hold up their shorts when they first start. And that's one of my guys who now he's run three marathons, one at 410. Uh, last year and he could not run a step now he stopped smoking he stopped drinking he's in housing he's uh he's a miracle he really has got his mental health under control um it's taught me really everything i know about life and sports um Mm. it's it's truly the biggest blessing in my life 
so guys, you can go check it out at uh, runningworks.org. Um, other than obviously people donating to your program to help you, is there any other way that people that are maybe in your area can, can help or what, what are the options? Oh, yes. You can, if you follow us at runningworks on Instagram, at running underscore works on Twitter or go to runningworks.org, there's tons of ways you can help. If you're in our area, we uh, volunteer at and compete in 30 races a year, which is a big part of our funding model. But at those 30 races, we have 50 and 120 volunteers that we're in charge of. So you can come volunteer alongside of us. Um, volunteerism is a core value for us because it's challenging the stigma associated with the homeless. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's pretty cool. It's not just handing them a meal, walking away. You get to actually get to know them. And by the way, all of those marathon guys, they've all used UCAN to complete their races. It's pretty cool. Nice. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> cool. They're all using UCAN, and that's why they finish. <laughs> Brilliant. Awesome. Love talking to you. And, uh, yeah, you've had a very interesting journey, and I think we can all take uh, a few tidbits out of that in oh terms God. of what we can apply ourselves. So appreciate your time and uh, keep up with the good work, and we'll, um, we'll, we'll look forward. Let us know when you crack that three hours for a marathon. Oh, I will. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Pretty interesting interview, John. Was indeed. Done lots of stuff. I still, I say this every time we introduce an interview a, an ultra distance athlete. It's I, it's a long way. It's not my <laughs> cup of tea. It's a long uh, way. Eight, eight, eight hours fifty four is long enough for me. <laughs> and a but long I totally, way. I totally get what she's saying about you know those seventeen hour athletes and stuff. I can't fathom being on my legs for that long, to be honest. Oh, you've done 17 hours at some stage in your life, haven't you? Not continuous. What's the no. longest you've gone? Um, the longest was a 300-plus K bike ride. That was 11 hours moving time, so probably out there 12 to 13. Oh, you're weak. Yeah. You can't do 17. Exactly. <laughs> um, it's a pretty phenomenal story, isn't it? Mm. You know, and, and it goes back to that kind of the value of what our sport offers to life. Mm -hmm. You know, her story is pretty horrific, um, and part of her moving forward is to have this, and it's so cool to see what she's doing with her community around homeless people because most people look at homeless people you know with a bit of a judgy eye um and see them just as a problem and what she's doing is going well why can't we help these people mm. and, and as she's saying it's not just you know giving out food at a food bank it's actually helping them transform themselves and it's you know all a lot of us and i'm one of these people is that you know endurance sport helped me transform myself in ways that you know i never thought possible before i did it you can give this people who are living on the street mm. And like that guy she was talking about, yeah. what awesome stuff, you know. And it's just that one thing of there's so much value in giving back. Oh, for sure, you know. And um, so just what awesome interview, and uh, just and that was brought to you by you can. So John, if you want to get the discount, use promo code IM Talk. Uh, we listed all those different venues of different stores you can get it at. So check it out. Um, we've talked about it many times. It's great uh, feedback on it as well. Great so. feedback. Uh, and yeah, it fits in with, you know, I've been, I'm, as Bevan said earlier in the show, you know, I'm doing a bunch of interviews with athletes that are following low-carb, high-fat diet. It's not for everybody, but what I consistently hear from those athletes is just that evenness that they have to their daily energy levels um, by not having all those sugar spikes and generation you can sort of fits in with that. Um, you know, you know when you're out there racing or training and you sort of have the highs and lows, um, this can really make a big difference. So check it out. John, you're going to ask me for a number, and this week, I'm going number one, number wanger one. of the week. Who's right. the number one wanger of the week? Number one wanger of the week, Brent 
Johnson. Oh, he went for a lunch ride. <laughs> did he? He's, uh, <laughs> he's done 27 hours and 44 minutes. He did 18 activities, 6 hours and 13 minutes of swimming, 18, uh, 16 hours and 55 minutes of running, 4 hours and 35 minutes of cycling. Comfortable victory for him this week in the Wanger of the Week uh, by 1 hour and 42 minutes. So guys, if you, I, I do. I just look through this list and I see lots of names I know. Arnold Silikov, I saw Tim Tansley, whose comment I brought up just before. Uh, so do go on to Strava and check out uh, or just join our I Am Talk group uh, and then you can compare yourselves against others and if you make the top 50 or 100 you're in the chance each week to get your name read out Brett Johnson's from well uh, Brett Johnson if you look at his photo he obviously likes Top Gun because he's got Top Gun in his photo and then on his t-shirt he's got Maverick and then his kid I'm not sure if it's a boy or girl but it's got Goose on the t-shirt as well (laughs) and he's from uh, Whittleton Western Australia there you go well done Brett you are the winger of the week okay John sponsor Extreme Endurance so you did your 10k race wait a second I'm going to guess the time. So you were saying about 36. I said I'd be happy with anything under 36. Okay, I'm going to say, I'm going to say was it a good day? I'm going to say yes, it was a good day. Mm-hmm. 35, 33. Not quite. I was. I, well, funny you should say 35, 33 uh, or 35, <laughs> 30. Is, and I'm not trying to make excuses <laughs> all I'm at excuses. all. Is I said I'd be happy with anything under 36. And I'd factored in the course that we were running yep. on. So this course, I'm pretty sure it's a wheel-measured course, so it is actually 10 kilometres. So does your GPS watch say that as well? No, because it's a five-lap course, which is basically five times a one-kilometre straight Ooh. up and down. So Sounds like a lot of fun. So you're doing 10 turns within, is it nine or 10? 10, I think 10 turns within the race, proper one, U-turns. Two, three, so that kills your speed, um, seriously. So I think we, the, 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 I got 10 point one kilometers, yeah. Um, but I'm pretty sure it would have been an accurate ten because they're quite anal about these things. It was our Canterbury Championship race, so and I looked at my splits, and you kind of see when you're running on the straights. So I'm going at that pace, and that's quite a bit quicker I'm than my average right pace. Now. So I did thirty. 5.55, so it's five seconds under my goal time. But I, I, fa- I reckon Here we go. each of those turns cost you. cost you about two, maybe three seconds. That's fair. That so I fair. would say I was probably about 35.30 in terms of actual pace, which is, yeah, I'm okay So where did you get in the age group? Uh, I think second. But then when they do the medals and stuff, it was 35 to 50, so it's quite a big spread, so I got shafted there. Uh. Um, but the interesting part of the day was I got the uh, the Andrea Hewitt uh, sprint finish unleashed on me. Oh, no. <laughs> because we, Is she living here now? She's always lived here. No, but I mean like... She's had winter here, yeah, yes. Yep. So she, um, we ran together for quite a few of the Ks. She actually pulled away from me at one stage. I, th- I thought I was in the bushes. I thought, I don't know if I can hold this in, Bev, and this turtle is ready to let <laughs> set free. And I was like, <laughs> just don't fart. Do not fart. I, I seriously nearly stopped. Uh, and then I managed to bridge back up to her, and so we ran the last maybe two or three Ks together. And um, you had a turn about... 100 metres before the finish line, and, um, and it literally is 1K, almost straight line turn, 1K straight line turn. And uh, and I thought, I'm not going to sprint her because she's the leading female. It looked like a bit of a tool yeah, to start with. Tool, yep. and so I don't th- Especially I th- if you sprint, and then when you go across, you go, in your face. <laughs> yeah. So I thought, Andrew, in your face. I was at my limit. I'm not going to sprint. Oh, wait a second, but you're making this as an excuse. No, I'm not making this an excuse. I'm saying, if I had chosen to sprint, I don't think she, she she picked it up and cranked oh, it. Oh, really? I would not have been able to match it. Okay. So she beat me fair and square. No problems there. Yeah. Uh, but all, all, 
you know, it's one of those days. The time was pretty pretty crap. You know, earlier in the year, I, I so that's an average of 3.34. I did a 15K race in April, averaging 3.30, so quite a bit quicker. Yeah. Um, in fact, that was a great run, though. And so, but in terms of execution on the day, I haven't got really too many complaints. It was really good. And some, so you don't always judge things by the time. I think no. I did pretty much, I wanted to give up a few times, and I hung in there. So I was actually fairly pleased. Time it was okay, and it's a good stepping stone, and it just kicks my ass to get 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 moving. Who ran the fastest? Oh, it wasn't very fast. It was a slow day all round. I think it, nobody broke thirty. It was yeah, it was it Connor Melton? No, no, it was uh, Rick Tingey, no. Alex Cowan, no Dryden. Somebody Dryden. Oh, Christopher Dryden. Dryden. Yep, he ran. Okay, he ran thirty-one forty. Yeah, so it's, he told me he lost about two seconds on every turn. Yeah, I reckon he's probably right. <laughs> So anyway, that was good. So I guess what, what does that mean? We're talking about a sponsor, Extreme Endurance. The difference for me, so the weekend before I went to a park run uh, and ran a hard 5K, and then the next day I ran for, for nearly two hours, I was KO'd for the week. Oh, really? I was gone, Berger. I, and that's going into this 10K. I thought, I don't know what I've got going in here. This, this whole week was just about written off. Still trained, felt miserable pretty much every day, just that fatigue from, from running a hard 5K and backing that up with a long run. Hit the extreme endurance from probably about Wednesday. Um, I think it really had an impact in terms of I actually felt okay in the in the race. Um, but then I did the same thing again on Sunday. Did another long run uh, and felt just heaps better yesterday and today. And so that sort of difference I get from extreme endurance is the bounce back. So I, I really believe it gave me an advantage in the race. Um, but also this week is going to be much more of a normal training week, whereas pretty much lost last week training because yeah, just I was from a 5K run. Yeah, yeah. Five, 5K and then backed up with a long run and actually double run that day. But just that combo of not being on extreme endurance and then this week, I only took it for, yeah, I think Wednesday through to Saturday I took it uh, and made a big difference and felt heaps better last night. Still some fatigue there, but um, that's the difference it makes for me is being able to turn around, back up the training and just get get on with a, with a regular week rather than you know, having to wait till next weekend. Yeah, good stuff. So if you want to get some extreme endurance and you are going through a big training block and you want to be consistently training at the best level that you can, it's just a really great tool to help you do that. John, where do they go? Xendurance.com. Um, and if you, Kiwis and Aussies, you want to get it through me, just uh, contact me through my coaching website and uh, I carry the Immune Boost because I think that's fantastic for staying healthy and just your standard extreme endurance. I don't bring in all the other ones, so just the shipping to New Zealand um, it doesn't work out for me, but you can get it all from Xendurance.com. Okay, check, check, check it out. John Stats Tastic. It's, it's fantastic. fantastic. Okay, the Mount Snail sent through this one long he's got here. I've never heard of him, but Robert Karas. Karas, a Polish guy, broke the double Ironman world record last weekend, 18 hours, 44 minutes. That's amazingly quick he's got here. Uh, can you do his accent? Can you do John's accent? No, I cannot. I can't do a Pommy accent to save myself. John's a, John's a, a Pom living in New Zealand. Um, he but, also but, holds a triple Ironman world record. It might be interesting to get on the show sometime. Well, this this sort of got John got me got me looking here. Here we and, go. And, and so I went on to the uh, what is it called the international. Oh, it's just a Wikipedia here. No, I've got a different link. He, he, uh, I went off International Ultra Triathlon Association, uh, and they actually had a Facebook page, and then so I was able to check out all these these different stats. The race that the, the, this guy Robert Karas, a uh, Polish guy, did at the weekend, it was a ten lap swim in a lake for seven point six k's. It was one hundred and sixteen laps of a three point one kilometer circuit on the bike, and then fifty two laps of one mile circuit on the run. Great for. 
getting your aid and your support and stuff and I don't know most of these races are like that um, but it's just must well, be mind numbing he basically had two 9.22 Ironmans yeah which was great but the, the, also at the weekend um, there was other records so he, he broke the double uh, record and then Norbert Leffenegger he beat the double decker record so that's doing 20 iron distance races in a row it? I'll go through that in a second and then also we had Eva Hurleman set a new world record for the females decker day record so I'll just go into those in a second so just to confirm that first fella he did 20 Ironmans uh, he, he started with his Norbert Leffenager uh, from Austria 241 hours and 36 minutes this is you do an Ironman a day he opened up with an 11 hour 20 and then he was really consistent at 12 hours plus or minus 10 minutes for pretty much all of them he had a 112.35 but the rest were all bang pretty much 12 hours just under and then the la- then he had a couple of 11 a little 11.44 and the last couple he slowed a little bit to a 12.20 and a 12.36 but Holy smokes, he did that. And there was a couple of other guys that, there was one, two, three, four, five, six, six guys that did 20, 20 in a row. Wow. This was at, at the Swiss Ultra 2019. Uh, and then on the female side, yeah, Eva Hurleman from Switzerland, she did the 10-day one, and her times, she started out with a 12.08, went to a 13.24, and then kind of hovered around that mid-13s, and then faded to sort of uh, mid-14s when uh, sort of the, the last three races. So some crazy long-distance racing um, happening over the last little period. Oh, absolutely crazy. Mm. It's hard to comprehend, isn't it, John? It is indeed. Oh, excuse me. Did you that burp, did that burp you, come you, you through? Burps, you got hiccups. <laughs> it's all happening today, mate. <laughs> Um, Finally, the only sort of other question and answer we had today, not so much of a question, if anybody going to Kona next year, um, the masseuse we use on our Epic Camp lights over there is uh, Juliet Nacino, and uh, you can check out Body by Juliet, hold on, let me just make sure I get that right, because bodybyjuliet.com, fantastic masseuse, she's on the the big island, Um, you won't find any better, so check out bodybyjuliet.com if you need a massage. Great smile. Mm. Great smile. Love a great, to me... Great smiles with a weight of gold. Fantastic. You know, a smiley person? Mm. Oh, something about a smiley person I like. John Bo, let's talk about our patrons. Adrian Projectile Berry. <laughs> That's a good one. And then we've got uh, Chris Jetstream Dockety. Yep, he was over on our road camp uh, the f- first year we did it. I think it was first year. Oh, yeah, yeah, Chris. It was. it was lovely. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I remember Chris. He flies fighter pilot. It's a fighter pilot. Right, yeah. uh, and then Ka- Ka- Carl Hooker Trout. We had some good names today. Oh, we're on fire, John. John, if you want, if you guys want to get a nickname, go to www.iamtalk.me and you can become a patron of the show. And when you donate your money and you're going to contribute to the show, we give you a cool nickname. You get a gift and you're going to draw to win a trip to Kona. And we got, we got an email from someone this week saying, we'll, we'll talk about this when they give the nickname, but they're going to give the kids left to police birthday presents to yeah. become a patron. I was like, that is gold. So when they, when they give up, we'll get a good nickname for that one. Um, John, if you want to get some coaching from John, go to coachjohnnison.com. If you want to check out my work, go to bevanjamesisles.com. I've got an interview on my podcast with a leadership specialist next week, mm-hmm. so you can check that out. Uh, other content, age group of the week, cool websites, other feedback, just email iamtalkpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also get the show emailed to you by going to our website, www.iamtalk.me. Go down the bottom, put your details in, and each week I just send you a show out. John, your goss. 
my gosh, I think we talked, I got a new mountain bike, that was a big highlight for my weekend last weekend, and managed to... Would you ever do a mountain bike race? Uh, does the Pioneer appeal to you? Yes and no. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it does. It's a, it, yeah, I would like to do it, but I'd like to do a lot of things. Yep. It's not a burning ambition. Would like to do, I mean, I'd like to do an exterior race, possibly, but... Yeah. Would you do a motor tip? Possibly. Timing-wise, doesn't really help me. It's in just before Sea to Sky Challenge. Um, so I bought a mountain bike last week. That was pretty cool. And then, but I did manage to really ungracefully fall off it. It's oh, not. Back it up. I felt 101, like mate. 101. And again, not making excuses. It's my own fault that I fell off. But what happened was I was, was in Bottle Lake, which is where I did, did it straight after this 10K that I did. I thought, oh, this will be a good chance to go out on the bike. It's a cooler course, and I can go check it out. Um, but I came to this intersection. I wasn't sure which way I was supposed to go, and then I realized last minute I was supposed to go right. So I tried, went to unclip, and I had in my mountain bike shoes since Christmas, and, and uh, I clearly hadn't done the cleats up tight enough or hadn't re-tightened them. So they're just, you know when you put something on the first time, you yeah. tighten them up nice and tight, and you really should go back a little while after and just tighten them up once they've had a little bedding in, readjust. And I hadn't done that, so I got to this intersection, and then it's not that, and I couldn't clip out, and by the time I realised I couldn't clip out, I'd, I'd already started leaning my bike, and uh. I was leaning to the right, and I was like, oh, shit. Did they all fall to the side, trick? <laughs> fell over the side, a little bit down the bank, and so then my bike's on top of me. Oh, wait, I, so you fell down the bank as well? Only a little bit, like just down a small bank, and then, but my foot's still locked in, and I can't unclip because my bloody cleats come loose. So what do you do? And so I'm like, yeah. Do you have to take your shoe off? Yeah, but you can't reach on it because your bike's sort of on top of you, <laughs> and some guy rides up and goes, oh, you're all right, and I said, I'm fine. I just I felt like saying, "Can you please just go away? And just leave me alone." And I'm I, a cock. Yeah, and I eventually managed to get my shoe undone and then sort of scampered out of there. But that was oh, I felt such a dick. Oh, that's like when you first go on a road bike and you go to stop lights and you fall off, mm. and it it might hurt, but the real hurt is the shame. Oh yeah, the, so, the shame is the real hurt. So that was a lot of fun going out for a little mountain bike ride, uh, and yeah. They've got the next round of the JD Giraffe on. We've been looking at the long range weather forecast. Ten days out, Bevan, looking good. You, your Ch- strategy is it goes long range. Ten days out is real. T- changes, don't yep. trust it, and it comes back to the long range. It's changed. So we had that change. I checked this morning, and now it's forecast to rain. Yeah. Oh shit. Where's it this weekend? This weekend. So I'm, I'm waiting for that change to happen again later on in the week. Um, Bevan, what's happening in your world? Well, we had our epic half marathon on the weekend, and um, Saturday or Sunday? Saturday. Both days were stunning. Yeah, and we were, the weather gods were on our side. There, it was actually perfect. We couldn't mm. have got a better day. So with that. What have I been doing, Jombo? I've been getting to my weights, I tell you. Mm. Got a training partner now. Oh, nice. Tell you what, you need a training partner when you do mm. weights. Mm. You know, you need a training partner, I reckon, for most things, really. Mm-hmm. But when you do weights, because you, you need a spotter. Mm-hmm. So me and Sully, we're doing weights, and uh, we're, we're killing butt there, so I'm... Sully is your spotter. Bloody Blinder might start jo- joining you she as well. She likes Sully, doesn't she? She loves them. Yep, there you go. So we sort of tell her, Sully and I push weights together. Yeah. <laughs> so that's good. Uh, had the family over for dinner. Mm-hmm. Or my nanas and stuff. Do you, do you find when you when the grandparents are around, the kids don't spend much time with them? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's the power of the iPad. Because <laughs> we we had our nieces and nephews around, um, and we've got two nanas. All the granddads are, are passed away. Uh, my nanas are probably in the mid eighties. That's all pretty good, Nick. Good for the Isles family. My that? parents are like that. Age. What's that? Oh. <laughs> yeah, got an extra generation on most of us. Even <laughs> there, you go. That's <laughs> why we start young. Um, 
Yeah, and then Joe was saying, you, you, the teenagers don't talk to the kids. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> Although I think when you're old, it's your job to, to also Engage. pursue it. Mm-hmm. You know, because like with Tyler, my daughter, she's, she's actually really good. And we actually, because she lives in Kens now, we should, ring, we should ring pretty much every week and we talk for like an hour. So we've got a good mm. relationship. But at a certain age, your job is to remind your kids that you exist. <laughs> you know, you, you're going to hit that soon, John. Mm. You're going to hit that soon. You're going to realize, actually, I'm no longer cool. That's why we're doing a renovation to our house so we can get away from the kids oh, on the other end of the house. So they can be with their friends. Yeah. And you're like, Where, how's the renovation going? Oh, we're just waiting on some pricing. <laughs> yeah. The land next door from me is to sell. Right. You can become a neighbor. Oh. Buy the land, build a house, be a neighbour. Sounds good. Yeah, there you go. And by the way, if you do want to become a patron of the show, that <laughs> might help. Help his house. <laughs> okay, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Endo. Train hard. Train smart. Kick hard.